Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a worldwide community of people who are using the practices of mindfulness, compassion, forgiveness, and generosity to heal the pain and suffering that addiction has caused in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. This podcast is for all those interested in and all those already practicing refuge recovery to find freedom from addiction of all kinds. To support this podcast and your refuge recovery, please donate using the link in the show notes. Anybody that's joining us for the first time tonight, this is an ongoing Thursday night class where we have gone through the book um, and we did the text and, and um, did, I did some commentary on the, the text of the book. And now we're going through the guided meditations uh, in the back and the appendix of the Refuge Recovery book. And I'm reading the meditation out of the book just as we do in the meetings. Um, and then uh, we have some, so we meditate together and then we have some time to um, have a conversation, Q&A, and just connect with each other uh, after the guided meditation. So welcome everybody. And um, we will jump into a meditation. So find a way to sit, a upright meditative posture. And um, we are on the second part of the third foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of mind objects. So rather than just paying attention to the breath where the Buddha encourages us, uh, get to know your mind. Don't ignore your mind forever. That's a, only such a temporary solution. A permanent solution is to have an intimate but a non-attached or non-identified relationship with our thoughts. This is how we develop wisdom and the discernment of what thoughts are trustworthy and what thoughts are more bad advice from our own minds. So uh, we'll meditate on that this evening and then we'll have some conversation after the sitting. This meditation is on page 245. It is uh, Mindfulness of the Mind, part two, content. Find a comfortable way to sit. Adjust your posture so that your spine is erect without being rigid or stiff. Allow the rest of your body to be relaxed around the upright spine. Rest your hands in your lap or on your legs and allow your eyes to gently close. Bring full attention to the physical sensations of sitting still. Allow your breathing to be natural. Bring attention to your head. Release any tension in the face. Soften the eyes and relax the jaw. Scanning the body slowly downward, relax the neck and shoulders, feeling the rise and fall of the chest and abdomen with each breath. Soften the belly with each exhalation.
bringing the attention all the way down through the body to the places of contact with a chair or cushion. Allow your body to be supported by the seat you're on. Feel the pressure and density of the relaxed, upright body sitting. Bring your full attention to the present time experience. Acknowledge the full range of phenomena that are happening in the moment. Thinking is happening, hearing is happening, seeing, even with the eyes closed, tasting, smelling, and physical and emotional sensations are all present. allowing all the experiences to be as they are, redirect your attention to the sensations of the breath. Let the other sensation, the other sense experiences fall to the background as you bring the awareness of breathing to the foreground. Take a few moments to investigate where you feel the breath most easily, usually either at the base of the nostrils or in the rising and falling of the abdomen. Find the place where you feel the breath coming and going and use that as the point of focus. It is best to choose one place and stick with it. Don't jump back and forth between nose and belly and it's not necessary to follow the breath in and out.
having established some ability to sustain attention, you can now begin to investigate the feeling tone of each experience. Whether you're paying attention to the breath or sensations in the body, each experience has a feeling tone of pleasantness, unpleasantness, or neutrality. By focusing the attention a little bit more and opening your awareness to the subtle levels of pleasant and unpleasant tones of experience, you bring mindfulness to your craving for pleasure and your aversion to pain. Feeling tone is the place where one gets attached or aversive. While sitting with the awareness focused on the body, refine the attention to the feeling tone of your experience. Investigate and inquire into the nature of the experience you're paying attention to. Is this a pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral feeling tone? Having established awareness of the breath, body, and feeling tones of the present moment, after expanding the attention to the process of thinking mind and observing the arising and passing of thoughts, bring attention to the contents of each mind, each mind moment. Know directly the truth of each thought. Be aware of each memory as a memory. And when a plan arises in the mind, know it as planning, perhaps noting past and future.
be aware of the arising of all emotion. If fear, anger, sadness, love, caring, envy, empathy, or any other feelings arises, experience it directly. Know that it originated in the mind and has manifested in the body as well. You may see that fear is an underlying motivator for much of the contents of the mind. See for yourself what is true about your mind. Know each experience as it is. Observe the tendency to avoid, suppress, ignore, or resist the unpleasant thoughts and recognize that as aversion. Observe the tendency to cling, crave, and feed the thought, thoughts that are pleasant or that you feel, feel will lead to more safety or happiness. And know that experience as attachment. Watch the thoughts, know the thoughts, but don't get involved.
when you're ready, you can allow your eyes to be open, bringing to an end this formal meditation practice. And of course, there's always the encouragement to continue mindfulness rather than stopping because the formal meditation has ended. Continue to um, observe and, and know what kind of thoughts are rising through your mind. It's an um, interesting practice. One of my colleagues uh, has a, a practice. He says, after you stop meditating, then think about what you just experienced in meditation. Reflect on it and um, see what's arising and you know, what, what, what just passed through your mind. Sometimes it's all happening so quickly you can't quite catch it. But then uh, in, in retrospect, you're like, oh, my mind had all of these plans and it had all these memories and all of these judgments and all of these fears and cravings and aversions and, um, and you know, kind of reflecting back on, oh, that's just impermanent thoughts arising and passing through the mind that usually we take so personal and we uh, often suffer tremendously about what our mind is doing. Um, Last week, I wrote this, read, the, uh, read the section in the book about uh, this perspective that um, not only are we uh, breaking our addiction to substances and behaviors, process uh, addictions, um, but that maybe uh, more clearly what we're doing in recovery is we're breaking our addiction to our minds. And that... Um, most of us would easily, especially once you've started meditating for a while, little bit, admit, oh yeah, I'm totally strung out on thinking. I'm totally addicted. I'm, it's compulsive. It's obsessive. It's um, uh, destructive, right? How, how destructive have our thoughts been? How much suffering have we experienced based on what is arising in our minds and how we take it personal and how we uh, you know, obey the mind. So breaking the addiction to the mind is um, you know, the first way that we do that in Buddhism and in, in refuge recovery is we learn to ignore the mind. First foundation of mindfulness, that first mindfulness of the breath and body, ignore your mind, let it be in the background, break that compulsive, addictive tendency to float off into every thought that arises. Just let it be in the background. That's the first step um, towards liberation. But it's only the first step. That's not enough. And so this is where the Buddha says, now be mindful of your whole body and the feeling tones, what's pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And now break your addiction to the process and contents of your mind. Because uh, it is possible, part of what mindfulness is, what um, human awareness is, is the ability to be aware of what's arising and passing physically, emotionally, mentally. And so this third foundation, as we try to do it here, of you know, observe the mind, thoughts of the future, of the past. Um, and we can see how easily, last week I used the analogy, many of you were here, of the thoughts being like bubbles in the mind. And there's this plan and there's this memory and there's this hope and there's this fear and there's this 
self-centered uh, unworthiness thought, all of those thoughts, and they're like bubbles. And that there's a way in which awareness can just be aware of, oh, look at that un unworthiness arising in my mind. Look at that craving. Look at that uh, anger. And because they're just thoughts coming through consciousness. And then consciousness is bigger than the contents. But what we usually do, because we're addicted, is we jump into the bubble <laughs> and we float off into the I'm unworthy thought and we incarnate as that. We become uh, so identified with that thought that this is true. I am afraid rather than just fear is arising in my mind. I am like this or I am like that or they are, right? So easy to believe our minds about them. <laughs> <laughs> that you know they are like this they are like that and it's just a thought but we believe it we're so addicted to our minds and so identified that we think that we're right all of the time i mean this is a rhetorical question but do you have any real reason to trust your mind i mean if you reflect back on you know we're a bunch of addicts <laughs> We're a bunch of addicts whose mind told us and we obeyed our mind that said, drink, smoke, shoot dope, smoke crack, you know, eat, you know, like all of all addiction are thoughts. It's in the mind. The mind says do A, B, and C, and we obeyed it. So usually, you know, I think this is harder for normies. <laughs> non-addicts than it is for us addicts to have the humility to say, of course, my mind is terribly untrustworthy, but I still think I'm right all the time. <laughs> I mean, of course, looking back at my life, I can, um, you know, totally admit that I give myself bad advice and I've, you know, I've done terrible things and I've caused harm to myself and others. And but now, but still, when my mind tells me to do something, I usually think, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> and not even do something, but just believe the thought. Just, you know, when the thought says, I am like this, or they are like that, or we should, or the world shouldn't be like this, or the world should, all of those thoughts. Now, I don't want to dismiss the thoughts. I don't want to say breaking the addiction to the mind is about abstaining. So it looks like he has left the party, but he will be back. I hope. I'm back. Sorry about that. Let me see. I don't know where I dropped off, but I, I was I was talking about breaking the addiction to our minds. Um, like, oh, so Rebecca, did it get us back on the YouTube too? Yes, we're good, right? Yeah. Sorry, I'm um, on holiday 
and the uh, internet's a little unstable where I am. Um, and now I lost my train of thought. I know where I was going with this was looking at breaking the addiction to our minds, the way that um, someone who's addiction, primary or secondary addiction has become to something like food. And I know there's many people in our program um, recovering from food addiction. And so when we think about not being addicted to our mind, we have to reflect on that like and has, you know, self-centered, fear-based ignorance in it, I'm going to now dismiss all of my thoughts. That's not um, wise. But through this kind of meditation where we bring our attention to the mind and we start seeing, oh, there's a lot of, you know, especially for my experience early on in meditation, it was mostly self-centered, fear-based, addictive, craving, judgment. I mostly saw negative thought patterns as I watched my mind. And then after years of watching my mind, doing loving kindness, doing forgiveness, making amends, doing the inventories, meditating regularly, like doing the program and watching my mind and seeing, oh, actually there's more kindness in my mind than there used to be. There's more empathy, there's more uh, uh, forgiveness. There's more positive uh, and trustworthy thoughts arising um, over time. Um, so you, you have to trust your own experience around that. So some of my thoughts about um, how useful and necessary this aspect of our meditative training is. Uh, last couple of thoughts, and then I'll open to questions, comments, uh, dialogue with you about it. One is, the, uh, the Buddha said, the mind, this is like the first um, stanza, the first saying in the Abhidhamma, the kind of teachings on Buddhist psychology. Uh, and, you know, it's attributed to the Buddha, and it says, uh, he says, the mind is the forerunner of all things. What our mind does, a, a mind that thinks negative, uh, you know, unskillful thoughts, that turns into unskillful speech and unskillful actions, creating negative karma for us. But that if we train the mind to think with positive, wholesome, kind, loving, forgiving, generous, compassionate thoughts, then those lead to kind words and actions and positive karma. And so, so much of what we're doing uh, in the meditation is we're training the mind. Neuroscience uh, fits perfectly with Buddhism, with the Buddha's teachings, where neuroscience has now kind of shown that uh, we all have neuroplasticity, no matter how long you were addicted, strung out in negative internal thought patterns, you, we have the ability through meditation to create new uh, neuropathways. 
And this is what we're doing by observing the mind and training the mind to be more and more positive rather than just feeding those old habitual reactive negative thought patterns, we're creating new patterns in the mind. And that mind, which will continue to be the forerunner of our life, will gradually transform. Uh, I've sometimes used the image of uh, like a neighborhood changing. And I think I heard in 12-step recovery this saying, my mind is like a bad neighborhood and I shouldn't go there alone. And, you know, which is like, you know, call your sponsor, call your mentor, talk to your sangha, your fellowship, like don't trust your shit, like get some other people's perspective support, make sure that you're not just, you know, buying your own fear based mind states. Um, and that, so that that image of the mind as a neighborhood uh, of watching over the months of meditation and years of meditation and, and abstinence and inventories and service and everything that we do, you start to see, oh, my mind is changing. The, the quality of this neighborhood, it's, it's becoming safer in my own mind. It's becoming uh, a friendlier place to live and to be. In the beginning, um, my experience was that my mind was totally unsafe filled with ignorance and, and addictive patterns. And that over the years of staying sober and doing the work, not just abstinence, but meditating, inventories, service, it starts to change. And because that's because our, our neuro pathways uh, develop. So, I have some other thoughts, but I'll leave it there. What are your questions, comments, thoughts? How does this instruction land for you? Are you applying it regularly? I think it's quite easy for people to get stuck in, I just come back to the breath all of the time and ignore the mind and break the addiction through ignoring the mind. Um, that's common. No judgment if you're doing that. And if you're new, it's kind of okay to do that. But just really important to know this is integral. Don't ignore your mind. Watch it. Observe it. Watch those thoughts arise and pass. Become intimate. Know your mind. This is the Buddha's teaching. This is the refuge recovery path. So what are your thoughts, questions, comments? Um, I see a couple in the chat. Um, you can raise your hand by um, in your, I think it's in your chat function. A little blue hand will go up on the screen. It's actually the participant function. Okay, in the participant function, you can raise your hand if you'd like to ask a question. A couple of cool comments in the chat. Uh, Jason says, I drank and used to escape my mind. I was completely identified with my mind. I was the thoughts. When I drank, I went below thought. Through practicing the Dharma, I'm becoming less identified with the mind. I'm realizing that the mind is a tool. I am not my mind. Still, I am sometimes lost in the dream. Occasionally, I am awake, then back to dreaming. Makes sense, like the process of awakening and, and recovering, Jason. Amy said, I used to drink, I used to think, 
<laughs> probably interchangeably. I used to think coming back to my body in the present moment wasn't safe. It turns out mind was the unsafe bit. And that it, I, I like that. Um, that one of the reasons why the present feels unsafe is because what's happening in our mind. And the more we do this kind of meditation and make room for those thoughts and see them as impermanent, impersonal phenomena of the mind, there's a lot of freedom in that. There may have been some uh, other comments in the chat, but when I got kicked off of Zoom and logged back in, it, it erased them on my side. Jen, please unmute yourself and... <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you for guiding that meditation. Um, I'll try to get through this quickly, but um, what came up for me was, um, you know, joy and if I was super, super mathy smart, it'd be like joy is a coefficient of blah, blah, blah. But I, I am blessed with uh, a joyous spirit uh, from birth. So whenever life is handing me, and it is handing me some stuff right now, um, I can look on the bright side. So there's just joy and humor that like bubbles up and it is not denial. <laughs> I know that, I, that I'm going through these things, but, um, you know, and then acceptance came in, just this blank platform of, you know, acceptance is here, acceptance is present. And I'm reading a Zen in recovery book, and it speaks about, in step five, acceptance is like the very start of us. When we hit our bottom, um, or let's say plural bottoms, um, we have accepted that that reality we can no longer live because it wasn't a reality. So acceptance is, is big right now. And then um, what else? Fear has not bubbled up and that I, I'm grateful for that. Um, I'm so grateful. Um, and you, you speak about the content. And so my mind drifted off to the concept of the second arrow. You know, what do we choose if we're going to even get that second arrow? So it's like the content of my mind is, is different and it's healthy and that uh the ruts that you know that fear kind of has ingrained in the neuroplasticity or in the neuro um stuff it's that same pathway going down it down it down it down it, and wearing it down and i was hiking the other day there was a giant rut and it was overgrown with like algae and flowers and i was like that is pure evidence right there for neuroplasticity, that this shit is changing and everything that you said that we do, um, it's just awesome. It's fucking rad. Good deal. So that's all, thank you. Thanks, Jen, I appreciate the um, reflections. Um, and, and especially that piece about humor. Um, and then I see that Hillary put in the chat, I learned to laugh at my mind. And um, I actually feel like this is a really uh, important, you know, like we can, I mean, you know, recovering from addiction is, is life or death. So it's easy to get very serious about like, I'm gonna, I have to meditate. I've got to do service. I got to do this stuff. And it's easy to get a bit uptight and serious about it because like we might die. Like a lot of our friends have, like people are every single day if we don't do some serious work. So it's easy to get serious about a recovery. 
one of the tools, one of our serious <laughs> recovery tools for sure is humor. For sure is being able to, and especially your mind. Like it's so ridiculous what our minds do sometimes, the judgments, the fears, the that kind of flip-flop from I'm a piece of shit to like, but everybody should pay attention to me. <laughs> like, you know, that sort of flip-flop from unworthiness to grandiosity to to um, you know, self-deprecation to all of that stuff that the mind does. If we can step back and see, like, wow, this is really ludicrous what my mind is saying. This is, you know, this, this is really ridiculous and actually have a, a sense of humor about it. It's often so unpleasant that it's hard to and be like, no, these depressive, these thoughts are brutal. They don't seem funny at all. Um, but when you get some distance and, and some change and some recovery, hopefully you'll be able to have more and more of a sense of humor and laugh at like uh, how, how crazy we are, how crazy the mind is. Um, and, you know, and this is part of the insight of it's, it's not that personal. You know, what your mind is doing is not your fault a lot of the time. Um, these are old tapes, old stories, old programming, you know, from this lifetime, perhaps karmic. I don't know. But and, and the more we can kind of not take it so personal, then it gets easier to to laugh at it or laugh with it. much easier to do when we're not in acute suffering than when we are. Marianne in the chat says, uh, I know hi everyone, my thoughts go to know my enemy. My mind can be my worst enemy. And only when I spend time with it, can I know it well enough to fight a battle that I stand a chance of winning love that perspective. I think that that's very much in line with what we're doing here. Um, because of course, at some point, your mind is going to tell you not only the difficult emotions that are going to arise, but it's also going to at some point suggest that you relapse, that you start drinking, using, acting out in some way. That thought is a very common thought and for some people very persistent. Um, and so when we know, oh, this is just a thought. This is a thought, an impermanent thought arising and passing through my mind with this kind of mindfulness. It's a relapse prevention tool. People who spend their whole life ignoring, their whole recovery, ignoring their mind, just coming back to the breath, just checking out, uh, just, you know, like, and then those thoughts, those obsessions come and they're so caught off guard because they don't have enough intimacy with like, this is just a thought. It's really unpleasant. And I know that it will arise and pass because I've learned that through my meditation practice. It will, it's impermanent. So this is so much about so many levels for, you know, relapse prevention, happiness, freedom comes from breaking our addiction to the mind and changing our relationship to it. My teacher, Ajahn Amaro, I just am doing a course on one of his books and he talks about, and I hadn't heard this before. Um, he said the relationship to the mind, rather than observing or watching the mind, he said, think about it as um, unentangled participation with your mind. Think about that for a minute. Unentangled, non-entangled, right? Not all identified, not all entangled in what's happening in the mind. 
but and, and his comment was he didn't really like the observer because it feels too passive because we are participating and we have the ability to replace thoughts when a resentment arises we have the ability to participate and say i'm gonna replace this with forgiveness meditation i'm gonna let go i'm gonna participate in not just observing but actually identifying oh this is a memory I'm going to come back to the present. This is a resentment. I'm going to go to forgiveness practice. This is self-hatred. I'm going to go to forgiveness practice. You know, doing all of those uh, unentangled participation with our minds. I see some hands going up. Um, Anu, I'll lower your hand. You can unmute yourself. Hi, Noah. Um, so I'm still fairly new to learning the mindfulness meditation practice. And I, I know that they're written kind of, you know, you start with the, with the breath and then the body and the feeling tone, and then you, you were adding layers to it. Yeah. I guess my question is, um, how do I know I'm ready to move on to the next layer, so to speak? It's a hard question to answer for everyone. Um, and there is something for you uh, there is there is some mile markers to um, look for. My sense is is that if you're concentrated enough on the breath that you're mostly present with it. And when I say concentrated, I mean, you know what like when you're reading a, a book and um, you can track where you're at in the book and you can kind of move from sentence to sentence and paragraph to paragraph that kind of concentration, even when you're reading, some other thoughts might arise. You know, you're reading and you're in the story, but then, you know, your mind says, hey, don't forget to go shopping. <laughs> and you can, you know, but you're still tracking where you're at. You know that, it, so think of that as like the level of, I'm here, I know I'm here. My mind's still saying, hey, don't forget to this or don't forget that or, but I'm, I'm mostly, I'm, I'm tracking my present time experience. I haven't lost it. Because we all know that experience too of being so distracted when reading that you have to read that sentence over and over because I keep getting lost and, or I just read that whole thing but I didn't uh, really take it in. So when we have that level of mostly present, like I could read a chapter and, 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 and get it, that's when you can really start to move on to the second and third foundation. It's quite hard to, when we're in a group, we're in refuge recovery meetings. We're in a, um, and there's people that are there for the first time. And there's people that have been there for years. So that's why the meditations are standardized and, you know, kind of go through all of these meditations. Because even if you're brand new and you hear this instruction and you can't quite do it yet, my sense is you're getting a map of where you're going to be going. You're not quite there. You can't quite observe your mind. You're totally identified with it still, but you're taking in, oh, it's actually possible to do this. I want to learn how to do that. I know it's not a great answer, but it's, a, it's very hard without having a personal relationship with someone and knowing really where they're at and being able to track where they're at to say, this is when you can move on. So we just have to give sort of general. Thank you. That's still well, helpful. Welcome. Nice to see you. Katie. Uh, hey, Noah, this is Jason actually here. I'm uh, Katie's boyfriend. We both got an invite and uh, we just hopped on together. Welcome. 
Thank you. It's our, both of our uh, first uh, experience with Refuge. Um, I guess I just had a question. I'm sitting here and um, I have a little bit of experience with mindful meditation, very minimal. I mean, um, but you know, as you were going through that, and I've never quite done a, a, a guided meditation like that. And, you know, you mentioned to try and um, not ignore the mind and not just immediately go back to the breath, you know? So I guess what I'm wondering is when you are being observant of your thoughts, right? And, and is this, to me, it feels like there's, it always has to be some degree of separation, meaning like it has to be somewhat retroactive, right? I mean, you're not literally, or do you find yourself literally in, in the exact moment watching these thoughts go by? Or is it like, oh, there was that thought. I saw it. There it goes. Now I'm going to go back. Or, or, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? It does make sense. And there is uh, quite a bit of debate in mindfulness uh, circles, Buddhist meditation circles, uh, about this question. Can we actually catch it as it's arising and passing and observe it in real time? Right. <laughs> or is it moving too fast that by the time we say now, it's the past, it's, it's history. <laughs> because the, you know, impermanence is so fast and that thought is arising and passing. By the time you're aware of it, it's already gone. And so, and you, you see like even in the meditation instructions, although maybe I am guilty sometimes, I try not to say present moment. Sometimes I think I do say that, but I try not to say pay attention to the present moment because the present, by the time you say present, it's past. So we try to give the instruction, pay attention to the present time experience. It's unfolding. The breath is coming and going, thoughts are arising and passing, and you can observe the the, uh, unfolding of mind, but not really catch it because it's just too fast. Um, and it's what I said at the end of the meditation, one of my colleagues uh, lands in this place of like, nope, it's, you can't catch it. You don't have the ability. So your best bet is after the meditation, reflect on what just happened. Reflect on all of those thoughts that came and went and emotions that arose and passed and, and see what you can learn from what's happening in your meditation by recollecting what happened afterwards. The word sati that we translate as mindfulness is, and part of his argument is uh, sati literally translates um, not as present time, but as recollection of the pre- of what's unfolding. You recall what's happening as it's un- you know as it's happening. Does that help? It sure does. It's just, it's funny, man. I, I'm reading uh, Buddha's brain, the practical neuroscience of happiness, love, and wisdom. And there was a, a metaphor that was made by the author about like standing on the edge of a, of a waterfall and you're watching your thoughts coming from this way and then zip they're over the edge, but it's almost like they're too far at the other end of the lip for you to catch them. And then you're always clinging to what has just went over the lip. And here's the next moment rushing at you, you know? Right. So that was, I was thinking about that as I'm doing this. I'm like, can I really catch this? And it is, as it's coming by real time. Yeah. So, yeah, I appreciate well, it. Well, the last thing that I'll say here is um, one of the classic Theravadan descriptions of this is that if you get very concentrated, more concentration than I was t- saying to Anu, where I was like, just like being able to read a uh, um, paragraph, but the jhanas are these levels of deep, deep concentration where 
um, the hindrances, all kind of doubt and craving and aversion and restlessness, and it's all at bay. When you're that concentrated, then it's like it slows down a bit. It's like, uh, you know, that image in the matrix where you can kind of see the bullets and duck them. Yeah, bullet time. <laughs> so that sometimes in deep states of concentration, your thoughts are like, oh, it's like, oh, wow, watch that like arise and pass. And you're, it's not, it's not the waterfall anymore. The waterfall has gone into slow-mo in deep cool. states of concentration. Right. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, I'm going to say last one is Sal. Go ahead and unmute yourself. Hello. Hello, Nose. Glad. I'm, first, I just want to say a heartfelt thank you for all that you've done in your service. And I read your book a while back, and I so identified with the, the, uh, the book. And, I, and, and so the meditation is great. And I've been meditating for a little bit. I'm no guru or anything, but I've gotten to learn my mind a little bit. And what I find is, is that what meditation has done is, is given me the ability not to react to whatever my mind tells me. Like when I was actively, if there was new to go inside, but I could not stop myself from reacting. And because I've slowed myself and I've watched my mind, I've been able to go back to true nature and I'm not my mind. And just because my mind tells me something, I don't have to believe it. I don't have to be, and that's, you know, that's the, I am awakening to my true nature. That's the best way I could put it. And so again, I, I really thank you, you know, and it's these books and these meetings and stuff, it just reinforces my belief and makes me know that I'm not alone in this journey. So thank you very much for everything. Welcome, Sal. I'm glad that you're with us. And uh, yes, your description sounds like the description of what happens when we meditate. We get more and more freedom around what our minds do. And this is maybe I haven't said this and I feel like Sal's pointing to this um, because I think it's a really common misunderstanding that we think that if we meditate enough, our mind is gonna be perfect. Some people think that like, you know, if I meditate all the time, I'm only gonna have positive thoughts. I'm only gonna be loving and kind and compassionate and there won't be any negative mind states anymore. Um, this is not with a Buddha's description. And I, I feel like Sal is saying like, no, we change our relationship to our mind. That's been my experience. And this is the Buddha's teaching that through this wisdom, we uh, develop that we, we know they're impermanent, we know they're impersonal, but it doesn't mean that they're all positive. That a lot, I think it, addiction, thoughts, cravings, all of that stuff, it continues, but we have the ability to establish and maintain our abstinence, not only from the drugs and alcohol, but from the negative behaviors in life that cause us suffering. So um, thank you, Sal, nice to, nice to see you. And thank you everyone, nice to see everyone. Thanks for joining us tonight. There is a bunch of um, cool things in the chat. Take a moment to look at the chat. There's a post there about um, how we are a nonprofit, or Refuge Recovery World Services is a nonprofit organization. It's our mission to support an extensive and comprehensive network of refuge recovery groups that practice, educate, and provide refuge recovery resources for anyone seeking recovery from addiction. If you would like to make an online donation to Refuge Recovery World Services, please do so in the link in the chat. Um, I do this group every Thursday night. 
um, as part of my service to the program, I don't receive any financial compensation for uh, any of the donations that you give. They all go to the nonprofit. Um, this is just part of my uh, desire to, to be of service to the program. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Refuge Recovery Podcast. To learn more about our program of recovery and to connect with others on the Refuge Recovery Path, visit our website, refugerecovery.org, where you will find information, meditations, and links to both in-person and online Refuge Recovery meetings. This podcast is brought to you by Refuge Recovery World Services, a nonprofit created to support our network of refuge recovery groups around the world. Thank you for listening.